Hello and welcome. My name is Tom. This is the Enthusiasm Project Season 2, Episode 21, the Season 2 Finale. What does that finale finally mean? We'll talk about that. Uh, we'll talk about that today. And then I also have a few other things that I've been wanting to share and go over. I've got a video update that I think is kind of interesting for anyone who's interested in podcasting or has been following my story. And then the biggest thing that I want to go through today is talking about some things to do with that old quote. Maybe you've heard it. Comparison is the thief of joy, which I have found to be incredibly true. So let's just jump straight into those things. First thing, let's talk about season two and wrap up in season two finale and what on earth that means. Basically, it, it it's sort of meaningless, but also not. If you've been listening for a while, you know, season one of this podcast was 21 episodes. And then I took a break for a few weeks and came back with season two. And season two was all about or at least I shouldn't say all about, but loosely tied to the idea of starting a business. And so I wanted to start a business. Uh, my fiance at the time, now wife Heather, and I started one and we kind of like chronicled that journey. So it doesn't mean that every show this season has been specifically like business related, but it's all kind of been tied into that. Like, okay, here's some updates on on where we're at with starting our business. Here's some lessons learned. Here's how it's tying into what we're doing, especially you know, with YouTube and and that kind of stuff. And for no other reason than the fact I like the balance of both seasons being 21 episodes, I decided that this was a good point to kind of wrap up that theme, basically, because while that's something we're continuing to do, the whole business thing, I kind of got to the point that I wanted to get at when I started this batch of episodes, which was started just going okay my youtube channel generates revenue now kind of organically what if i was a little more strategic about that and how can i set up a good foundation to build on that in the future and that's basically what we what we've done and what we've kind of chronicled and that includes starting an llc and just sort of building on multiple revenue streams whether it's through you know google adsense or affiliate programs or sponsorships or being set up to do those things and being set up to work with potential sponsors and partners in effective and authentic ways. All of those things are in place now. And Heather's been working to take on more clients. We've started our YouTube mastermind. She's revamped her online course. And all of those different revenue streams are now covered under our ShareSpark Media LLC, which is just up and running. We started, you know, got business bank accounts going and the whole deal. And we've talked about that over the past, you know, 21 weeks. And I just feel like we're we're kind of at a good spot with it now where I don't think, you know, when I said starting a business, I don't mean like, okay, I'm going to, you know, be Apple computer and invent something world changing in the garage. It's just kind of like, how can I be more self-sufficient and, you know, not be self-employed because I have a job, but be self-employed on the side, I guess, and kind of got there which is great. And I think that this podcast was instrumental in that because it was accountability. I can tell myself that I want to do this thing, but I can easily also then just not do it. And nobody cares. But knowing that like I've kind of told people about it and put it out there, I feel an obligation to update it. And in order to have an update, that means progress has to be made. So this has been a great way of keeping us active and accountable to make sure to get these things done and taken care of. And it's, it's, been very very valuable so i'm really happy about that it's just i don't think there's going to be a lot of like huge updates in that area anytime soon really just kind of now the i don't know wait like the pot is boiling or whatever so it's it's all just kind of going now and maybe you know there will be bigger updates in the future but not enough that it's something i would want to like try to tie a theme to every week and you know it's been a very loose loose thing in terms of tying that theme around but I think that it has been important and now I just kind of want to move on to being able to do sort of other things so if you listen to season one season one was essentially I had gotten to the point where I was tired in my classroom day job as a teacher of basically being interrupted by students every you know four seconds and you have you can't get through a sentence without like, listen, okay, stop, like that kind of stuff. 
And then YouTube, which is wonderful, but you do need to be ultra crazy concise and just like, you know, very economical with every second of a video. And then I wanted to start a podcast where I could just explore ideas in depth on my own with no real concern for time, which I know sounds like you're giving me your time to listen to this, but it's okay to let moments breathe. It's okay to work things out. It's okay to explore things in greater detail because that that is something that podcasting lends itself to really well. And so kind of talked about a lot of different subjects. When that season ended, I basically got that out of my system out of 21 after 21 episodes. And I was like, okay, let's do something more focused. And that was where, okay, season two will be about this business thing. And then jumping into season three, I have a few ideas of how I want to approach it. Uh, but it, it mean, it's not like this podcast is going to change at all. So it's it's just sort of me just mentally like segmenting chunks of episodes. Essentially, it's just kind of the same thing. We're like, I want to share what I want to share, talk about what I want to talk about. It's probably going to be connected to my interests and YouTube and things like that. But I like having an overarching theme that I can like pin each episode and discussion to, or at least give it kind of a perspective from which to explore things. So that's basically what we'll do. And we'll just shift from that being starting a business to something else. It might be something where honestly, if I didn't say anything, you wouldn't even notice. But for me, putting it together, it's something that I just want to be able to, I don't want to feel guilty if I don't talk about starting a business for, you know, a few episodes or something. And there's not gonna be a break or anything. So plan is just have a new episode next week as always, but just season three, episode one, crazy, right? (laughs) Um, So anyway, I do before moving further into today's show, I do want to thank everyone who's been listening. I have gotten a lot of awesome feedback from people, whether it's through YouTube comments or emails or like direct messages on Twitter and Instagram. And it's really nice. Like the people I have been lucky enough to find as a part of this community, whether it's through the podcast or YouTube channel, I'm very fortunate in that everybody seems to be really great and really interesting and really skilled and talented. And so many people are actively working on their own stuff, you know, their own videos, channels, podcasts, endeavors, whatever you want to call it. And that just in its nature makes for a very interesting kind of person and an empathetic person because, you know, as someone who makes stuff, you understand what somebody else who makes stuff, you know, is going through and is working on. And it's just been really great to get to know some of you more. And I really appreciate that. It still kind of blows my mind. You know, I just explained why I started this podcast, which was just to explore my own ideas in depth, something I used to just do on like bike rides (laughs) um, in my own brain. And it still kind of blows my mind now that people listen to it. And I really appreciate that. So thank you so much. I I love all the feedback and getting to know everyone. And uh, I look forward to continuing on with that for quite a while. So that's our season two wrap up heading into season three next episode next week. Um, And I really, really appreciate that. I do also just want to let everybody know that I, well, this kind of ties into a story, but my most, not most recent now, one of my most recent videos, I'll put a link in the show notes for this, is all about my podcasting workflow, where basically from start to finish, I take you from the process of literally like plugging in my Rodecaster Pro mixer to having the podcast scheduled and uploaded on Anchor. And that's something that I've gotten a lot of questions about over, you know, just the past few months or so. And I wanted to make sure to share that with everybody. So that's there. And I think that might be really helpful because my workflow is all based on speed and simplicity. So, and I say that in the video, but it's basically between having a job and a YouTube channel and then wanting to start a podcast, there's just not time to, each of those things could be its own full-time job. And the podcast is something I love and want to do, but there's just... It's the thing there's kind of the least amount of time for, unfortunately. And so the only way I can make it sustainable and practical was to find a really effective workflow. And something funny that kind of happened is I go through that video start to finish. And I literally say in the video, this is everything I do. You're watching this in real time. Like these, this is every step. And I have gotten so many messages where people go, what about editing? What about editing? What about your editing? How do you handle editing? And I feel silly by saying I don't. And you probably know that because I make mistakes when I talk. And sometimes, you know, 
go in directions that don't necessarily need to go into. And it's kind of a funny thing. Like people don't believe that I don't edit these. And I'm like, well, if you listen to them, you can clearly hear they are not perfect. So it shouldn't be that unbelievable. But I think what it shows me is a lot of people are really scared of the idea of of releasing something that's a little bit imperfect. And that's not to say that editing a podcast is bad. If I had my choice, I would love to craft something. Like some of my favorite, you know, like edited podcasts are like Serial or S-Town where there's this perfect level of production that helps to keep the audience's attention and keep them focused and explore an issue and tell a story. And there's music mixed in and interviews and, you know, just getting the material together to edit into the episode on its own can take days or weeks or, you know, you have a reporter that needs to go on a trip or like there's production behind it. It's just not practical or feasible for me here doing this the way that I do it. So it's not that that's anything I don't like. It's not that anything I wouldn't want to do. It's just not something I have the time for. And that's why I think this is valuable because I feel like a lot of people are in that position where they don't have a lot of time. They don't feel like they have a lot of time. And so then they feel like they can't do anything. And for me, finding a way that's very simple, a workflow that works really effectively is really key to letting me do something that I really want to do, but just don't have all the time in the world to do. And one thing I also learned, though, is it's funny, I guess, teaching helps because teaching is all about trying to keep someone's attention and speak for chunks of time, sometimes just off the top of your head. And I guess that's been very helpful when it comes to podcasting. Now that I'm saying this, I'm very self-conscious of every like mistake and pause it's like when you think about breathing or blinking or something like then you can't stop doing it on purpose and I will just need to get out of this real quick. But anyway, that video is there and I just thought that was kind of a funny conversation that's popped up several times since then through comments and messages where people are like not believing that the podcast isn't edited. But regardless of the quality of that, that is the beauty of the workflow. So I want to make sure you know that that's there for you because it really goes through how with just a little bit of planning and the right tools, you can produce something, create it, and essentially have it not take up very much more time than real time. You know, like today's podcast is probably about an hour long from start to finish, including setup, recording, you know, getting it online, scheduled, ready to go, probably an hour and 15 minutes, 10 minutes total. So that is very, very manageable. If you think about your week and you're like, okay, Do I have an hour, an hour and a half to put into something? You probably do. Do you have eight hours to record and edit and reproduce and all that? Reproduce, re-edit, or I meant like produce again um, stuff that you need to do? Probably not. And so this is very effective. I hope that's helpful. I will leave that link in the show notes for you guys. But let's jump into today's topic, which I think is a great way to sort of wrap up this um, season and this series of episodes because one of the things that I've noticed just start, like the idea of wanting to start a business or turn something into a business, I don't know anything about that. And so naturally, I'm going to lean on the experience and the expertise of others, which is invaluable and really, really helpful. But if you're not careful, it can also be very detrimental because you start thinking that that's the way that it has to be done or, you know, you're wrong for not doing it. Just, you can, it can kind of lead to a lot of self doubt. And part of the reason that I even wanted to start a YouTube channel in the beginning was to have something that I'm fully in control of and something that I'm in charge of and something that I can do my own way. And that was one of the most liberating freeing things, even back when nobody was subscribed and nobody was watching was just the idea that this is my thing and I can, do whatever I want and I am building the confidence and feeling like I have something worthwhile to put out there in the first place. And that that feeling is not something that I want to lose. While I do want to be smart and strategic about building and growing things, that that feeling is so invigorating and so important and so rare that I don't want to lose that. And that can happen very easily when you start comparing yourself and your expectations to other people. And there's a few ways that I want to look at this. So I kind of want to break it down into two 
categories. First, I want to just think about the quote in itself. The famous quote, comparison is the thief of joy. Right there, I think that tells you everything you need to know. But I want to break that down further and look at two different types of comparison and then break those down further too. So I want to look at comparing yourself to yourself and then we'll dive into comparing yourself to others. And I'm kind of specifically looking at this through the lens of, um, you know, YouTube and content creation and the stuff that I do and that I spend my time on. But it really applies to anything. You know, people compare their physical appearances, people compare their bank accounts, their material possessions. Comparison is a thing that, you know, lives all over the place. Think of how many companies, you know, you get the new, I don't know, whatever, the new iPhone, because that's the easiest example, and you feel really cool. And then the next year, Apple comes out with the newer iPhone that has like one slight change physically. And then it's like, oh, now I need to get that one because while I thought this one was great, now people have that one and that one looks better. And it's got, you know, three cameras instead of I'm sitting over here with two cameras like a sucker. And this one has three, like, you know, now you've lost the joy of the thing that you have. That's totally fine because you're comparing it to what somebody else has or or something else that exists there. But going even further, there's sort of this thing when you're comparing yourself to yourself that I have to work with my students with all the time. I have to work with myself. And the reason I'm able to even begin working on it with my students is because I've had to spend so much time diving into this for myself, which is kind of expectation versus reality, especially when it comes to creating something. So, and I tried to like draw a diagram of this that I shared with like one of the Facebook groups that I'm a part of for like YouTube creators. And then people started yelling at me about that's not how Venn diagrams work. And I was like, oh, the internet, it can be so frustrating. But what I always try to explain to my students, what they will do in class, we will have critiques. So we'll work on projects and before they get grades or anything like that, They turn in their projects and we watch them as a group and they have to pitch their project beforehand. And it takes forever to get students, I mean years, to get students to understand how to pitch things even somewhat effectively because inevitably what they will do is they will get up in front of the class and I will say, tell us what your project's about. Get us excited about watching it. You know, what's something cool that you learn that's going to help you in future projects? And they will inevitably go, well, we kind of ran out of time and like what we really wanted to do was like this cool action thing, but you know, like the memory card broke and you know, we ran the footage isn't that great and it's kind of blurry and the sound is bad. And I always tell them you're supposed to be selling us on this idea. Who is going to want to watch this after you pitch it that way? Like, why don't you tell us what it is? It's a story about blah blah blah. It's a documentary about this that and the other thing. We wanted to experiment with whatever. And then let us watch it and let us decide. And when we're done, we can have a discussion about that. If the sound is bad, we can talk about what happened and how to make it better and all that kind of stuff. But get us, like, pull us over to your side, get us on your team, and then let's watch this thing together first. And I think they just want to preemptively, like, address all their insecurities, which makes sense. And I totally get that. And I do that myself. But at the same time, it's also hurting because we can't see what their expectation was for their project. So anytime you go to make something, say you're going to paint a picture and you have this idea in your mind of what you want it to look like. And you try to, as soon as you put one brush stroke on the canvas, it's already drifting a little bit from that. And the more that you work, the more it drifts and the more it drifts. And then by the time you're done, you know, hopefully it's somewhat in line with what you had in your mind, but sometimes it's, it's quite different but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a failure. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad. It doesn't mean that people won't like it. It's just your expectation versus the thing that exists are not exactly the same. Obviously, with practice and strategy, those two things can align a little bit more, hopefully, with you know intentionally. But just because something doesn't align with what you had in mind doesn't mean that it's bad. And it's important to remember that your audience is only seeing the thing that actually exists. They are not seeing what you had in your mind. And so you could create this completely amazing thing that everybody loves or gets a lot of value out of. But just because you're comparing it to this other vision you had in your head, now it's not good enough. Or now it's it's something that you're not as proud of as you could be or you should be. And 
you're not actually looking at it for what it is. And so I think that's something that's very important to be aware of for anyone who creates anything, especially anyone who's just starting out to create something. You know, once you've done 500 episodes of something or, or whatever, you probably have a system where you have an idea and the execution matches pretty well. And once you put in your 10,000 hours, your idea and the result can align. But when you're just starting out, that rarely happens. And instead of getting discouraged, you know, it's important to look at the end result, the thing that was created on its own merits, and then look at your skills and what can be improved and how to bring those things closer together. But you can, but there's so many times you can miss and overlook so much value and so much positive positivity in something you've made just because it's not matching up. You're comparing it to the thing that you had in your mind. And that's something that I think requires a lot of active effort to overcome. Additionally, I think that it's very easy to compare yourself to your past self, which, you know, I think we're, we're all on this journey where the goal is to constantly improve and, and be better and better and better. But the older you get, I've found, the less, you know, let's just put it this way. I've hit a point in my life where rather than just automatically getting stronger and better, my body is just in a state of decline. Like physically, you know, things are just aging and starting to fall apart, which just sort of happens in your mid-30s. And that's fun. So if I look back to like, well, three years ago, like, you know, I was in better shape or I was more able to do blah, 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 or I had this or I had that. It's like, well, yeah, of course. And when you're a teenager, you're basically a superhero. Like if you get a cut, you can just watch it heal in front of your own eyes because your body is, you know, just so ready to do that stuff. And now, you know, if I get a cut or a scrape, it's like, cool, that's going to be there for like a year, Um, (laughs) which sounds like a scary medical condition. But the same goes with creative things. You know, I think that's where it becomes easy to put that pressure on yourself, whether it's performance or the process or the reception of something. You know, you, I think you see this on YouTube a lot. People make a video, it does well. They make another video like that, it does well, and they kind of keep going, it does well, well, well. And then suddenly over time, it just stops doing well. And you can get in this mindset of like, oh my God, what am I doing wrong? It's me, it's me, it's me. Not just thinking that like, well, maybe the world has just shifted or, you know, like, other things have changed beyond your control and for you to just expect the exact same thing that you were getting in the past like it's not it's not really accurate it doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong it just means things have changed a little bit and you know if you're trying something new you don't necessarily want to compare it to something you had a thousand reps on in the past so what i'm kind of thinking of specifically is Um, like videos and and creating a video or about a topic and going, okay, you know, I think anyone who's a YouTube channel that's seen any kind of like growth spikes knows what caused those growth spikes. So my, for example, my first video that ever went kind of like, we'll call it viral, was an Apple Watch speed test comparison, which sounds super exciting, I know. Basically, like my channel was just kind of, no, that's not true. My channel was a year old at the time. So it was fairly like formed. And I had just gotten a new Apple Watch. I think it was the Series 4 had just come out, which is my current Apple Watch. And before that, I had the original one from like four or five years before. And as soon as I opened up the new one, which I had just pre-ordered, so I got it the day that it came out. It, like the differences are really cool. It was the first time they had redesigned like physically the watch at all. And it had, you know, crazy speed boosts and all this cool stuff. And I was like, this is really neat. Like I'm genuinely curious. How is the performance compared to my old one? And then I just thought like, I'll make a video about that. I'm sure I've to- told this story before, but literally from the idea of, hey, I think I'll make a video about this to the time the video was uploaded was less than two hours. <laughs> it was one of those things where it was like, okay, cool. Like I'll just put an overhead camera put the watches down. I will just kind of narrate what I'm doing. We'll do some tests, put it up. And it just kind of worked because it synced with what was happening culturally at that time. Like there was a release of a new hyped up product because I had just happened to get it on the day that it came out and made a video about it. Mine was one of the first like real world videos of that product out there. And in a time when I was getting, you know, 
I mean, maybe if I released a video and I hit uh, like 50 views in the first day, maybe 40 views in the first day, I would consider that a success. And this video, you know, I woke up the next morning and had 500 views. I was like, oh. And then for about a week, it got to a point where I was getting 10,000 views a day, which was just off the charts compared to anything my channel had experienced before. And then it literally after a week, it went from getting 10,000 views a day to like under 100 views a day. You could just see where the YouTube algorithm dumped this thing and switched it out for something else, which is just something that happens. But that was the first time that I'd ever seen some kind of success. And it wasn't like a mystery. It's a brand new Apple product that I made a video about that people were interested in. There's a reason that so many people do new iPhone videos, new MacBook, new iPad videos, because those are very high interest. There's a, there's a big market for that. And I knew that. And so then going on, like I was like, okay, well, I know a lot of people subscribe because of that video. I don't really do like an Apple Watch channel, but you know, there's some cool stuff here. I know how to polish out scratches from your Apple Watch if you have a stainless steel one. I should make a video about that. It can look really cool and it's very like hands-on DIY. Cool, make a video about that. Oh, look, they just enabled a heartbeat monitor thing, an ECG. I'll make a video about that and, and test that out. And part of me was thinking, okay, I want to serve this audience that saw this Apple Watch video and subscribed to my channel. They probably want more content that's like that. They might not care about a camera lens. And then the other part of me was like, well, if this one Apple thing did well, another Apple thing should do really well. But they didn't, those other videos didn't do nearly as well. And they're honestly better videos than the one that did really well, but they just weren't, it wasn't positioned. Like the stars were not aligned in the same way to make them perform that well. And it doesn't mean that I should feel bad about that. And what it kind of taught me was like, okay, I don't want to say stay in your lane, but like there's things that I like talking about on my channel and things that I'm not as interested about and as cool as I think like the Apple Watch is. I don't want to make 800 videos about different Apple Watch things. I would much rather talk about cameras and video production and audio production and that sort of stuff because that's what I'm interested in. So kind of that past comparison was this weird thing to to deal with for a while. And just also kind of remembering, I was also thinking of Casey Neistat, who's one of the, you know, most influential people for a lot of people on YouTube now and why they started their channels. A lot of people want to start their channels and do what Casey Neistat did, but the problem is he already did it. And not only did he already do it, but he did it five years ago. And what I mean by that is, Vlogging was a thing, let's put it this way, in 2014, 2013 and 2014, I had short film projects in my class and I specifically, it said no vlogs, actually it said no vlogs in like the project prompt that I would give my students. Because at that time, what a vlog was, was somebody sitting in front of a really low resolution webcam in a badly lit room and just sort of talking for like 20 minutes which there's nothing wrong with, like just sharing ideas and exploring things. That's kind of literally what I'm doing right now without the low resolution webcam. But in, you know, a bigger media project where other students were like getting casts and crew together and finding locations and learning new equipment techniques, I didn't think that it was fair for someone to just like use the photo booth app on the classroom iMac and just ramble about nothing and then turn that in like you're supposed to get the same amount of credit as these other people for that? I don't think so. But, and that's just kind of what, what vlogs were at the time. But when Casey came onto the scene, he not only made a new one every day, but they were high quality. They were interesting. They were engaging. It's not obviously not that they were perfect because they're so rough around the edges, but they were, they were polished. They were, there was like a, a level of production that hadn't been seen in that format quite that way quite yet and he has such a good way of making things seem and feel so tangible and so accessible that that quickly like showed people this is what this thing could be and it's done in a way that makes it feel like you could do it so then a lot of people of course thought well I will do that I'll jump right on and and do that thing and you know then you saw a lot of vlogs and a lot of like Casey influence things pick up around that time which is nothing wrong with, but then, you know, like time went on. He did hundreds of videos like that. Hundreds of other channels popped up bringing like that same level of content. People showed up 
and then really upped the level of production quality. And, you know, now it is kind of at the point where in a lot of ways it feels like people expect you're a channel with 300 subscribers. You should have absolutely perfect studio lighting and polished on-camera performance and all this stuff because the level had been increased so much over the past few years. If that had happened and like Casey came out of nowhere today and started his vlog, it might take off, but there's also a really good chance that it might not catch on the same way that it did just because he was doing something that there was an opening for five years ago. And so the reason I bring that up is because I talked to and I've known a lot of people that like want to start vlogs and want to do Casey style things and then get discouraged when they don't start taking off right away. And it's like, you know, there's a lot of reasons his did, but it's also culturally there's just been a shift away from that kind of content lately. And, you know, having that kind of story and personality and communication ability that's going to make you that interesting and that compelling to watch on a daily basis is very, very rare, especially in, in the more saturated market. So what what can you do? Like, what do people, what are people missing now? Or what's a weak point on the platform now that you can jump in and work on? But just because something was successful doesn't mean it will still currently be successful. So the past is this thing that constantly exists that's easy to compare yourself to, but it's not, it's not always accurate at all when you feel discouraged because something you're doing in the present doesn't live up to your expectations or memories of the past. And then I guess to sum up, what that really means is comparing yourself to yourself can be a valuable way to grow and progress and you shouldn't just ignore the stuff that you've made or the progress or whatever you want to call it. But at the same time, comparing yourself to yourself, your past, can be a a way that you then don't give the credit or the appreciation to what you're doing presently. And it's very important to give yourself that credit so that way those comparisons don't steal all of the joy. And then the second part of this discussion is, can you have a discussion with one person? I guess so. The second part of this one person discussion is comparing yourself against others, which I think we're all so familiar with in so many ways. And I kind of mentioned that, but I'm going to stick with YouTube specifically because this is something that I've noticed myself falling into and I feel bad that I that I'm falling into this because I know when I started my channel it was, you know, there was a lot of naivete naivete naivety about some of this stuff, but I know it was like, okay, I'm just I want to start this thing, I want to have fun, I don't want to care about any of the numbers. It's kind of the same thing when I started this podcast. I was like, I'm not going to look at any of the things, which luckily I've held true to that. And I know people are listening because I get comments and emails, but I really don't pay attention to any of the analytics because I don't want to. I don't want to get in my head about it. Um, People seem to be listening, though, and that's cool. But when it comes to YouTube, I remember just strongly, like, it's this thing where the goalposts are constantly moving And so for, I guess, even to continue the idea of comparing it to yourself, I remember like, okay, I could say fall of 2017. So we'll say like October 2017. Why I know this, who knows, but I know about that time I had like 35 subscribers on my YouTube channel. And I knew if I released a video, sometimes by the end of the first day, like if I released it really early in the morning, By the time I went to bed that night, sometimes the video would have 35 views. Not all the time, but I just felt that that was really cool because I know when you upload a video, just going through and doing like the description and the title and that like the basic prep for the video, you're inevitably inevitably gonna trigger one or two views. So as soon as the video is open and you've done all that stuff, it's gonna say like two views, but those are just you, so it doesn't really count. And then, you know, there's a few people like, I know Heather's going to watch it and, you know, I might rewatch it to see how it looks. So I know there's, you know, there's a pool of like five views that might just be from my household, which is great, but that that's not really showing how your audience is growing at all. And then you kind of get to like, okay, maybe there's a few people we know online who are checking out our stuff and some friends or whatever. And that kind of maybe could go into like 10 or 15. But I knew like, okay, by 35, like that's people that I don't know who are watching this. Like that's solidly into double digit territory. Um, To me, that just seemed like 
it was a sign that the video and the, the work was getting out beyond just my sphere. And I thought that was really cool. And so for a long time, that number 35 just stuck in my head as like, okay, a video is doing well if it gets more than 35 views in the first day. And if you're, if you are a YouTube creator, what you'll know is when you log into your like dashboard, now YouTube ranks your previous 10 videos. So your 10 most recent uploads, it ranks them in order of best performing to worst performing. It gives you all the analytics, the click-through rates, the watch time, the audience retention, the number of views, everything, and compares them. And it will even tell you this video is performing as usual. Uh, people are showing more interest in this video. People are showing less interest in this video. And it it's actually really helpful, but it's also like can be quite demoralizing. But I was sort of doing that same sort of thing in my head before that was automatically there. And the interesting thing for that was, you know, the channel kind of continued to grow. And so whereas every once in a while I would hit 35 views in a day, it got to a point where it was pretty consistent. When a new video came out, it could hit 35 views that day. And then, you know, a few months went on by like springtime of 2018. I had had, um, maybe I was at like 600 subscribers and I was like, okay, I can maybe get up to like 50 views in a day. Like kind of just, it's up and up. It's, if I don't hit that, it's not like there's anything I can do. <laughs> it's just sort of a gauge of, okay, this is performing the way that I want it to perform. We'd all love to get millions of views on our things as soon as they're uploaded. But, you know, that's just not realistic. And then that kind of eventually went on to maybe by like, I don't know, late 2018, where the channel had like, 3,000 subscribers. Okay, let's do 100 views in a day. Like, that's good. That's that's feasible. And the funny thing about that is at the point in time where it's like, okay, maybe I can get 100 views in the first day. If I got 85 views, I would then feel like, oh, man, I'm kind of disappointed. I'm a little bit bummed. Whereas just a few months before, my goal was to get 35. If I had got, If my goal was 35 and I had hit 85, I would have been ecstatic and now i'm making you know the same content but because those goalposts have moved that number is now like hmm, that's kind of a bummer and i know like you know there's a reason for that obviously there's there's more people and that number has gone i'm at the point now where with just over twenty thousand subscribers and videos that have been doing pretty well lately i was saying okay if i can get a video to have since I do a video a week usually, sometimes more, if I can get a video to cross 1,000 views in the first week, that's pretty good. And every once in a while, a video will pop and go to like five or 10,000 in the first week, which is really amazing. And then lately, it's been almost like, okay, you can do 1,000 in the first day. And that's really, really good. And um, I mean, that's something like if you could have told me that three years ago, I just sort of not believed you. Um Let's see, I'm looking up some analytics right now because what is more exciting on a podcast than analytics? So I released a video this morning. Today is Sunday, the day before this podcast is released. I released a video this morning on camera settings, which I'm really excited about because I wanted to make this video. People ask, for, ask these questions, but I've been kind of nervous about releasing it because like, you know, camera settings is not the thing people are going to trip over themselves to click on necessarily. And I released it on a Sunday, which is kind of unusual, but it's summertime. I wanted to try to put out a couple more videos. Um, and right now at almost 2 p.m., it's at 878 views, which is kind of like incredible. And YouTube is saying it's performing as usual. It's ranked five out of 10. So it's right in the middle. That's crazy. Like <laughs> almost a thousand views in a day. And it doesn't like it doesn't, you know, if a video gets 10,000 views in a day, I feel good and I'm happy. If a video gets 500 views, then I'll feel like, oh man, this didn't do as well. I'll feel kind of sad. Either way, it doesn't like, it doesn't really affect anything. And I feel bad for, I just feel bad for putting that pressure on myself in a way, which is silly. I know, but it's like, I'm all like, okay. If there's a video, there was a video, my least fate, my least, not least favorite, least performing video of the last 10 is all about this flexible LED light, which I love. It's my main key light. It's wonderful. I made this video. I really like the video. Video came out and just didn't do well at all. Like, you know, nobody wanted to watch it. Um, the people who did watch it, like, you know, 
really got a lot out of it. Like they learned a lot. They found a thing that's going to help them. Their comments are really positive, great messages. There just wasn't that many. And so then I felt like, oh man, like I felt sad. I felt bummed out. And of course the YouTube dashboard gives you these red, red arrows facing down. It's like, oh, I did something wrong. When in reality, like that video still did better than anything I would have made two years ago. Like me two years ago would have been ecstatic to have a video that performed like that. And more importantly, I had a lot of fun making that video. It was something I wanted to talk about. I made a video that I think is super cool because, you know, it's a light, but there's creative ways that you can talk about video lights and I, there's cool shots in it. And there's just like, I had so much fun making it. I learned new techniques while I'm making it, like hugely positive experience. And now I was just looking at it kind of from a negative point of view, just because some numbers weren't what I thought the numbers should be. Does that really matter? No. And that's, you know, I, I, I know that, you know that it doesn't, but the, that's not enough to get over it mentally in your brain. And it's so, it can just be so frustrating. The same thing goes with just channel growth in general, even like, like I just said, it took six months to get to a hundred subscribers on after starting a YouTube channel, which if you started one, that first hundred, oh my God, if you or someone, you know, has started a channel and they've hit a hundred subscribers, just say congrats to them and give yourself the credit that you deserve. Cause that is like a monumental hurdle after that, it's still really tough, but it's nowhere near as tough as that first hundred. And so it took six months to get the first hundred, six more months to get to a thousand, another year to get to 5,000, and then another year to get to 20,000. It's kind of how it lined up. So that's a really nice growth curve. And I'm very happy with where my channel is. It's way beyond on, it really is way beyond anything I would have expected when I started it. So I'm actually feeling a sense of satisfaction with it where I'm just kind of happy with where it's at but I do want it to still grow you know and then because it has been growing a lot more lately a lot of people have been saying oh man your channel is doing great like you're going to be at 50,000 by the end of the year you're going to hit 100,000 this year and then that puts the thought into my brain which was kind of already there but it just kind of boosts that thought of like oh could it really grow that much that would be amazing and then I can feel myself going, oh, well, that would mean I would need to grow by, you know, if I wanted to get to 50,000 by the end of summer, that means I need to gain 30,000 in the next two months. And it took me like mathematically, that's, you know, thousands of new subscribers a day or hundreds of new subscribers a day. And I'm only getting 50 to 100 every day. And that's not nearly enough. And then feeling disappointed instead of going, hey, Tom, remember when it took you six months to get 100 people and now in one day? You can get a hundred, like, like just enjoy that. Like that is what, who, who are you comparing this to? What, what weird expectations, what other people like, just, I don't know, just sort of stopping that comparison. I've started trying to reach out in like the YouTube world more and talk to people with larger channels and, um, you know, people who have just sort of gone beyond where I'm at just because I want their insights. I want their perspectives and everybody's that I've talked to has just been like the nicest people and super cool. And they've never once, I've never met anyone who like lorded their channel size over me. Like, Oh, well you only have this many. Like I can't, I've never encountered that. But at the same time, you know, I've <laughs> at 20,000 subscribers after three years, there have been times where I talk to someone and, you know, we, we do our chat and then literally like a week or two later, you know, they go from, I don't know, something like 280 to 310,000 subscribers. And you're like, okay, so in the past three weeks, you, you surpassed my entire <laughs> channel's growth. And I, I like, I don't even know why you need to have those thoughts. Like, I don't even know why that's an important thing because then I start going like, oh, well, I guess like. I guess my thing isn't doing that well when really it's like, no, it's incre It's doing so much better than anything you would have imagined. You're happy with it just because somebody else's numbers are different for entirely different reasons. Why is that getting into you? Like, why are you letting that psych you out? And I know that this sounds silly because this can sound silly because we're just talking about the world of YouTube and numbers. And in the grand scheme of things, I really do know those things don't, you know, I fully recognize 
that it is a luxury to be able to sit here and talk about those things because there are bigger problems. And the fact that today is a day that I can sit here and focus on that means that things are going pretty well. And that's great. But if we're going to have these discussions, we might as well have them. Plus, it's just sort of, it's a good insight into bigger trends and bigger habits. So if this is how you're looking at this one thing, it's probably also the same way you're going to look at, you know, something else. It's kind of, you know, I think it's just human nature in a lot of ways, but it can really just sort of take that joy. If I'm excited because my YouTube channel hit a point that I never thought in my wildest dreams it would be at, and then I can suddenly feel less excited about that just literally because somebody else for totally different reasons has a different number displayed on a screen. That's silly. Like that's just straight up being silly and ridiculous. Like whatever you're at, whatever you're working on, if you're putting what you have into it and you're doing the best and you've gotten started, that's enough. I mean, that really is enough. And as much as it's good to be strategic and plan these things out, you don't want to kill the thing. It's like that other expression when you have like dissecting a joke is like dissecting a frog. The frog dies and nobody learns anything. And it's kind of the same thing. So if you start being too strategic about what you're doing and being too like ultra intentional with it, you're just going to end up killing it and you're going to end up killing your joy for it. And so there's this really delicate balance to strike between having fun, making stuff that you're satisfied with, doing so strategically so that it doesn't feel like your work is wasted. Because, you know, to be honest, if you work several days on a project and you're really proud of it, that is something in and of itself to be proud of. But if you put it out for the world to see and literally no one watches it, well, that is kind of a bummer. But if things are just kind just moving in a somewhat overall positive direction, you're in a good spot. And just the fact that you've gotten started with something, that's the thing that so many people don't give themselves credit for is we all want to create the best stuff we possibly can. We all want it to be the highest quality possible it can be. And there's always room for improvement. But the fact that you've just gotten started, the fact that you've picked something up, you've pushed a button, you've created an idea, you've you know uh, visualized or put into more tangible terms something that was just living in your mind, right there is something to be proud of and is something that puts you beyond where so many people are because so many people get stuck in that black hole of never getting started just because they are insecure or because they don't feel that things are perfect enough or because they're not good enough or whatever it is. I was stuck there for many years, so I fully understand how that feels And I think we all need to be easier on ourselves and give ourselves more credit and remember that we're all on our same, we're all on different journeys. And so just because we're doing somewhat similar things to people with two YouTube channels, two podcasts, whatever, two artists doing their thing, doesn't mean that the paths are going to be the same. Everybody's journey is, this is sounding so like hippy dippy, but it's fine. Everybody's journeys are unique and authentic and valuable. And I think that it's very critical that we remember that and we respect that and we give ourselves permission to just be okay with that. And I think that's a great thought and a great attitude to have as we wrap up this batch of episodes. I hope that was interesting to listen to. That was something that's been on my mind for a while. And I really wanted to, you know, take a bit of time and explore it a bit with you. So before we wrap up today, let's talk about gear of the week, which is where I get to just share something I'm super excited about that I've been using a lot this week. If you've noticed, if you've been paying attention to the different things I recommend in this segment, I try to kind of bounce back and forth between, I try to make sure it's literally something like, hey, this week, I'm really psyched about this thing. But sometimes it'll be like an iPad, which is wildly expensive. And then other times it's like, hey, this notebook is really cool. It's $4. So I try to like not bankrupt anyone. I'm not saying you need to buy these things every time. I'm just going like, this thing is really cool. It's really helped me. Maybe it'll help you. This week's kind of silly. Nothing too revolutionary, but something that's made my life so much better, which is this pack of little remote control outlet switches. So these aren't anything new. It's basically like a little plug 
you plug it into the power power outlet on your wall and then you plug whatever you want into it and then you have a remote control and you can turn it on and off with a remote control i use those like during the holidays for christmas lights and stuff but i recently bought a new set of them from a like a different kind than i've ever gotten before and i put them all in my studio which is like heather has been just like hating coming into my room if i'm not here because the lights aren't connected to the light switch and so you know the room's pitch black you walk in you hit the light switches and nothing happens you have to walk over and like the light you know the studio light buttons are just not in the normal place you would expect them and it's an you know it can just be annoying so basically i rigged up all my studio lights onto this remote control the one that i got comes with five different switches and so i can push one button to turn on my key light i can push other buttons to turn on my accent lights and i just have it came with two remotes so i had to leave one remote on my desk which is just always there even if heather wants to come in when i'm not here she knows the remote's there easily turn on the lights and then I actually velcroed the second remote to like the bottom of my side desk so it's just always there when I'm sitting I can literally without getting up turn the lights on and off and switch them around and then it's just velcroed so if I need to remove that remote I can take it that's a lot of information about this little thing but it's so cool and the reason I like this specific set is because it did come with five uh, receivers or five outlet adapter thingies and then two remote controls. Most of them come with like three receivers and one remote or whatever. And these ones seem to work really well. They're grounded. It got good reviews. I'll put a link in the show notes to it, of course. But they've been working really well. Seems to be well built. It's under 30 bucks. So it's it's quite affordable. If you're like me, I mean, this is helpful to have just around your house. But if you don't want to spend all the money on like Philips Hue and smart everything that ends up being very expensive and kind of tedious to set up, or you have like a studio like I do where you have very specific studio lights and stuff you want to turn on and off regularly. This is so helpful and it really like, it's one of those things, it's a little friction pain point that if you can just release it and get rid of that friction, get rid of that pain point, it will make your life so much easier. So that is my final gear of the week, gear of the week, <laughs> gear of the week recommendation for this season. So thank you so much. We're 42 episodes now in, and I really appreciate all the support, all the kindness. If you do, as always, want to be a part of a future podcast, if you want to be in the season three opener, just leave me a message at anchor.fm slash enthusiasm. I do love hearing from everybody. So if you want to reach out, you know, I'm at so darn Tom and all the things, all the other contact info will be in the show notes for this episode. I really, really hope that you have gotten something out of these discussions and these ramblings. And I really appreciate all of the kindness and support that you've shown me. And I hope that you know how grateful I am for that and how appreciative I am and how much, especially as someone who spent so much of his life feeling like an outsider, how much that that just really means to me. And in a really chaotic, often stressful, negative world, this whole endeavor has been such a hugely positive thing for me, and I, I really appreciate that because it wouldn't happen without the support everybody, of everybody who listens and watches and is just generally cool and supportive. So I appreciate that. Thanks for a wonderful season. I will see you next time for Season 3, Episode 1 